Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome to podcast number 165, presented by the Christ Life Fellowship. Check us out, christ-life.org. This amazing series from Warren Litzman on Jesus and Paul has been terrific, and we appreciate all of your great comments and so happy to hear that you're enjoying every minute of these. Today, it's part number 11 of Jesus and Paul. Here's Warren. We're still, we're still in Romans 16 and 25. Now to him that is of the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching. The preaching. The preaching of Jesus Christ. We're going to look deeper into that statement, but I want to go into the next words because I'd just like to talk about the preaching for a moment. The preaching of Jesus Christ. For you Bible scholars, from the time that Paul was converted on the road to Damascus to his experience in the Arabian desert, there's a possibility that some three years went by. He preached during those three years. In fact, we have the record that uh, one of the first sermons he preached, he had to get away from the crowd because they were after him, and he went over the wall in a basket. But during that three years, what did Paul preach? He didn't have a revelation of Jesus. What did he preach? And we see some signs of that. He preached Christ. Who is it he had met? He had met Christ on the road to Damascus. Who had he talked to? He had talked to Jesus on the road of Damascus. And so he preached Christ. For instance, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, he could say, I am determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. What kind of Jesus did he preach? He preached the crucified Lord. What was it he knew about Jesus? He knew that the one whom he had been attempting to destroy the ministry of had died on a cross, and now he realized that his death on the cross was salvation, was salvation for the world, and especially was Paul's salvation. So he said, I'm determined to know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. If I had one challenge in my life that I live, it would be that verse of Scripture. I, too am determined to know nothing save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul would go on and say many other things about Christ which we attribute to that three-year period before he had come to the revelation of Christ, which is what the line we're dealing with tonight deals with. But he preached Christ. In his scriptures, he made Christ vividly alive, a person, not just a spirit, not just a feeling, not just somebody seated at the throne of God, but he preached Christ in a most vivid way. I want us to look into some scriptures that will help you to see Paul's gospel and how he handled Jesus Christ. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3. 
beginning to read at about verse 11. Verse 11. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Now what was, what was done away? This was the glory that had to do with Moses. This had to do with the law. Verse 12 he says, Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Now when I read things like this, I'm greatly stirred by what Paul has to say. We'll read another scripture similar to this over in Ephesians in a moment. But he uses great boldness. What does he mean by statements like this? That he was a loud preacher? That he was a jumping up and down preacher? What does he mean by boldness? He means that he knew when he opened his mouth to preach this truth that it was going to be shocking, different, hurtful to some people, as well as a blessing to some people. So he had to be bold in what he did. It's like when I come to you and I know that I'm going to say things to you that are different, said in a different way. That's going to hurt some people, perhaps. It's going to make them think, what is he doing? What's it all about? So if I believe it's truth, and I believe it's what God wants me to do, I have to speak it boldly. This gospel, when Paul began to give it, must be spoken boldly. It took backbone. It took courage to speak it, because most of the places he preached were Judaizer places. There were places where there was already an Israel church in existence. And he had to bring a gospel to them that was completely contrary in that church. So he said, if I'm going to do it at all, I'm going to do it right. I'll speak boldly. I've been in that place. I've been in the place where I knew when I spoke I was going to do hurt to certain people. They might have come for a blessing. They were going to leave in deep concentration. I knew that. It is for that reason that I don't go many places unless I feel led of God because I don't want to hurt people. I want them to grow in grace and I want them to want the Lord. And besides, all of them are already the Lord's children, so that's not my, my interest. I'm not trying to get them saved. But my interest is to speak boldly this message, even as Paul did here. And those of you who handle this message must have that attitude. You must have that, that spirit that I speak boldly of this. If it's truth, it's truth, regardless. Look, I want you to get that kind of spirit as we read uh, through these uh, verses now. Uh, being at verse 12, says, Seeing then we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. Now, where is the truth? Where is faith? Where is spiritual growth? In the mind. That's Paul's secondary message. Second only to Christ in you is the mind because that's where all spiritual growth is. God's done a perfect work in spirit. It's in your soul that you grow. So he says, But their minds were blinded, for until this day there remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament which veil is done away in Christ? 
Now you know behind this statement is the fact that when Paul's ministry began, the only writings they had in the New Testament church was the Old Testament. That's why Peter preached Joel 2.28 on the day of Pentecost. That's all they had. By the time the Apostle Paul had been in the ministry some 10 years or maybe a little longer, he had written at least seven epistles. Those seven epistles was the only gospel the early New Testament church had of Jesus Christ. They had no other writings. Peter had written nothing. John had written nothing. Luke had written nothing. James had written nothing. The New Testament church only had the first seven epistles of Paul. That's all they had. None of the Gospels was written until approximately the year 68, the same year Paul died. So there was no Gospels there. So can you see the open conflict? There was no mediation truth, mediatorial truth, between Paul's radical Gospel of Christ in you and the Old Testament. It was simply Paul with the boldness saying, I'll preach this message. And he said, the veil is not taken away from Israel. They still got it. But notice how he put this. What happened when the veil does fall? It says, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is ab abolished. But their minds were blinded until this day remaineth the same Veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away. Done away by what? Done away by what? Okay, didn't say done away by Christ, did it? Doesn't say done away by Jesus, does it? What does it say? It's done away by the new gospel in Christ. In Christ. But even to this day, verse 15, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, Israel, shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. What is he to do? What is this preacher of the gospel to do? He stands before a crowd that knows only the Old Testament. Oh, you said that's good. They'll have enough truth there. No. Why? Because they had rejected the message of the Old Testament in the coming of their Messiah. So they really weren't believers of the message they had. They really didn't believe those promises in the Old Testament. And all of those words about the Messiah will be here soon. He had come. He had lived. 
He had spoken. He had died for what he believed and had ascended back to heaven. And hundreds of them saw him go, saw him in his glorification, and yet they didn't believe. The nation had not accepted. They had rejected. Now here's a preacher who knows Judaism as well as any of them, probably better than most, because he is schooled in the rabbinical school. He is a rabbi. He is a lawyer, according to Moses' law and the Torah. He comes behind in no percentage of understanding and knowledge that is available. He has sat under the two greatest Judaizing teachers in existence. His family was rich, could pay for the best education available. He knows when he stands before those people what will tickle their ears, what he can say. He knows what they believe better than they do. So, let's say he thought this. Shall I compromise a little? I'd like to win them. I'd like to get them involved in my ministry. I'd like to give them something they really want. I'll give them a little bit of law and tell them you really ought to do this if you want your blessing. I'll give them a little grace. I may even work a miracle or two for them. Is that what he did? That's not what I'm reading here. I'm reading no compromise. He's going to hit them flat on the head. He's going to hit them where they hurt. Did he make believers out of them? No. He had to go over a wall in a basket. Did he ever get free of their antagonism and hatred? No. To his dying day, they hated it. That was religion. That was existing religion. That was churchanity in its basic form. He reached the world with his gospel. He reached the world with the gospel. Jesus in his day didn't do that, but he reached the world with his gospel. Three times his epistles say that he reached everybody with his message, with his gospel. Look at Romans 1 and 8. says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you, for you all, you all, did you see that? That's Texas language. You all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ given to the Apostle Paul. It went throughout the whole world. Why did it go there? Because it was a bold, daring gospel. It was preached by a man who would not back down. You know how hard it was for Paul to bring this gospel? I told you part of it in another session. Well, we had this bus from Jerusalem. 
And everywhere Paul went in ministry, there would be these Judaizers who had come from the first church in Jerusalem to upset his ministry. They hated him that much. They despised him that much because he had been set against that particular group in Jerusalem when he was out bringing saints before the magistrates and having them charged with felonous things, whatever. And so everywhere he went in the ministry, here came some of these saints. Now, those saints were closely allied to politics in that day. And so when they'd come to where Paul was ministering, instead of them coming into his meeting and busting up his meeting, what they did, they went to the magistrates or the mayor of the town. And those days, the Romans, which had conquered this area, ruled over it, and all the people in it were slaves, except the few who were Roman citizens, like Paul and some others. But they, all the Jews were, were slaves to Rome at that time. And so the Roman government had figured out if we want to keep these Jews under proper submission, let them have a mayor that they elect themselves and we'll control the mayor. And so it was a tedious balance because hundreds of thousands of Jews had been killed by the Roman Empire in those days. And so here would come this gang. They didn't come right into the meeting. What they did, they went to the magistrate. And they said, you got a man here in this town that's going to tear up your town. He's going to preach a gospel that's going to rip this town apart. And if you don't get rid of him, you're going to be sorry. The Romans will be on you. So every place Paul went, particularly every place that's the name of an epistle, he was run out. He was run out of town. Now you know why he wrote letters. That's why they're letters. And so they would gang up and they'd force Paul out. That same group of people finally convinced Nero to chop his head off, and they did. Will he quit preaching? No. He carried a little entourage with him wherever he went. Barnabas, Luke, Timothy, Titus, that gang that is noted in his epistles. And every time he had to leave a town, he'd leave one of them behind. He said, they won't get you. They're after me. So I'll leave you here. You lead the people. You teach the people. You bring the message. That's how we got these early churches Christianized. Came through hurt. Came through pain. Ironically, about two months ago, there was a story on the Discovery Channel of television. I don't know whether you get the Discovery Channel here or not. But they had a story on there of the Apostle Paul during those days when Rome... had the great uh, dispersion to take place when Rome had judgment to come upon it. And this story inferred that the Apostle Paul and his preaching was what brought that dispersal, that, that spread all those Jews out of Jerusalem to where they went 
to the ends of the earth, creating the diaspora. I don't know about that. That's the first time I'd heard that. Here was a man that preached the gospel under pressure. Now note, the Judaistic church was not a heathen church. It was not a false church. It was the church most closely aligned to the Old Testament and was the church which Jesus of Nazareth ministered in when he was on earth. It was the church that was to become the seat of government for the new kingdom. But that church was set against Paul and his ministry. And you can understand why. He had another gospel. He had a different theme. As strong as they preached Moses, Paul preached Christ in you. As strong as they preached the Torah and the keeping of the law, Paul preached Christ alive in believers. So there was always this consternation wherever Paul went, whatever he did. How did the gospel spread? It spread because the gospel itself was the power of God under salvation. We don't understand that. We only understand the spread of a gospel through the mechanics of men. But that gospel Paul preached was the power of God under salvation. And if you want to know what I long to see in our world, it's that gospel preached with power and boldness because it has the power of God that brings salvation. Not men with power, not men with gifts, not men but the gospel had the power of God under salvation, Romans 1. You see the difference there? How did it spread throughout the world? It was the power of God under salvation. I believe we will see that if Jesus delays his coming, that the gospel itself will be greater than men. Men are going to fail. Men are going to fall short, the best of them. But it should never touch this gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. I believe it will carry itself. Once again, it's good to rightly divide the word of truth. Because when Jesus was here, there were five occasions he told his disciples to go preach the gospel. The gospel he told them to preach was an outer gospel that belonged to the kingdom message. Five occasions Jesus told them to preach. One, go ye therefore teaching all nations, baptizing them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. These signs shall follow them that believe. These signs shall follow them. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me to the ends of the earth. Five times he told these men to go. You need to notice something in your Bible and once again rightly divide the word of truth. He said every Christian commission, as we call it, to 12 men. Only 12 men. Read the record. At no time did he tell everybody to go He never said for the church to go into all the world. He told 
12 men and on one occasion with Judas having left them, he said it to 11. He never said it to you and I. It's a part of that which belongs to Israel and they alone will fulfill that. But listen to me. All my life I've been a missionary. I never pastored a church that wasn't a missionary church. Last big church I had, we trained and sent out 100 missionaries and that church supported them. That was an awesome burden and load. I believe in it. But God never told us to go into all the world. He said it to the 12 apostles. And you know what? They didn't do it. Why didn't the 12 apostles go into all the world? You want to know where they went? Let me see if I can find that. That just comes to me. Let me tell you where they went. Acts chapter 8. Is that where it is? Acts chapter 8. You got a little verse you want to mark there? Now this is some years after, not too many years, but maybe two or three years after Jesus told them to go in all the world, and it says, And Saul, here's our brother, was consenting, uh, was consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem and throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Where were those fellows? Great persecution everywhere except the apostles. I just thought I'd drop that in. Don't make a whole lot of it. But they were the guys that were to go into all the world. Now what was the difference? What was the difference with Paul's ministry? He had a whole new and different message and the boldness to get out there and minister it regardless of the consequences. Where were we? Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians three. One last verse of scripture on this preaching. Ephesians six. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 19. Paul says, And for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. mystery of the gospel. God help us to open our mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. I don't believe Jesus ever told me to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but I did it. See? Now I see that wasn't given to me, but I did it because I love the Lord and I want to do that sort of thing. I want the world to hear the gospel. And I'll keep on doing it. But Paul says, pray for me that I'll open my mouth boldly to make known 
the mystery of the gospel. Now we go into another line in our verse. Back to Romans 16, 25. It says, And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Now when I began this, I told you this was the hardest verse of Scripture for Christians, especially those in the ministry to handle. And I went into some detail about how modern theology does what I call a tap dance on this verse. When they get to it, they just dance all over the place like a tap dancer and never stays still in any one place. Never gives an answer to it. Why? The hard line in this verse of Scripture says that the preaching of Jesus Christ must be according to the revelation of the mystery. Does that sound like good English to you? I mean, can you understand it? Is it plain enough? Now let's make it bolder. That says that Jesus Christ should not be preached except according to the revelation of the mystery. Yeah, we got awful quiet there, didn't we? Most of us have never heard Jesus Christ preached according to the revelation of the mystery. We don't see the cross according to the revelation of the mystery. We don't see the early church according to the revelation of the mystery. We don't see healing or miracles or answers to prayer according to the revelation of the mystery. The Jesus we have is somebody else. He's kind of of our own making, our own thoughts. We've created him. That's good. Oh, don't mistake me. Our not seeing what I'm saying and what I think the scriptures say hasn't stopped God from blessing at all. Aren't you glad for that? You can be ignorant as a doorknob and God still blesses. Why? He doesn't bless us because we're smart and know all these things. He blesses us because we're his children. The worst of us he blesses. The most ignorant of us he blesses. I wouldn't be here if he hadn't blessed me when I was dumb and ignorant. So don't mistake me. So I'm not talking about you just getting saved and just rambling along. I'm talking about those who want to grow in grace and want to know the truth and want to hear what the Scriptures have to say. The preaching of Jesus Christ to be totally true must be according to the revelation of the mystery. It must be according to the revelation of the mystery. It can't be according to the mystery. Let's talk about the mystery for a moment. That isn't what it says. It says according to the revelation of the mystery. Not that the mystery exists, but the preaching of Jesus Christ should be according to the knowledge, the understanding, the spirit-given revelation of that mystery. That's the gospel that ought to be preached. That's what the world has been denied. The world doesn't have the slightest idea of what a New Testament Christian is because Jesus has never been preached according to the revelation of the mystery. The world thinks he's a miracle worker sometimes. 
most of the time they think we're fools for believing that. They have no concept of who Jesus is. They're arguing over that. Modern news is arguing now. Did he really live? Was he really dead? Did he really come back to life? Was he really the Son of God? After all these years, 2,000 years, the world is no more convinced of Jesus Christ. Why could that be so? Because he's never been preached according to the revelation of the mystery. I'll agree he's been preached according to mystery. Just look at the Mormons. Plenty of mystery there. Look at the Jehovah Witness. Plenty of mystery there. Look at the cults. Plenty of mystery there. But it didn't say according to the mystery. It said according to the revelation of the mystery. You can't leave the Holy Spirit out of this knowing. He's the teacher. You just can't leave him out. So the preaching of Jesus Christ must be according to the revelation of the mystery. What is a mystery? Well, let's detail that a little bit. First time the mystery was mentioned was when Jesus met Nicodemus. That's an unbelievable account there because right out of the clear, Jesus has run into Nicodemus. But even before we talk about that, let's talk about how that got in the gospel. You see, Matthew, Mark, nor Luke never mentioned Nicodemus as he's talked of in the third chapter of John. Why did John bring that up? It is very obvious that the Synoptic Gospels, which are the historical record of Jesus of Nazareth, never relates anything about the gospel of grace that was to come. It is centered doctrinally in the church of Israel, which was in existence, which all of Jesus' prophecies had to do with. So when Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote, they wrote, uh, one of them, I think it was uh, Matthew in 68, the year Paul died. That's the first gospel was printed then, or put into existence. And in 72, there was another gospel, I forget which one it was, but they were all written after Paul died. Every gospel written after Paul died. But the significant thing is John's gospel that records the record of Nicodemus was written 25 years after Paul died. That's important. Why is it then we separate John's gospel from the three synoptic gospels? Because his is not a historical record of Jesus. He's not writing concerning the kingdom, though there are kingdom bits and pieces in his writing. But that's not what he's writing to. He doesn't begin with Abraham. He doesn't begin with the genealogy. He doesn't begin with Israel. His first verse says, in the beginning. Oh, what's that about? What's that about? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning. What has this brother done? He's gone all the way back to before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 and 4 burns in him. So why is he different? He knew Paul's message. He was under the dictation of the Holy Spirit. 
to write the things concerning Jesus. But you know what he did? Every once in a while he bears from any historical record of Jesus to those things he remembered that nobody else remembered because they didn't understand what they were. They didn't grasp what they were. For instance, he remembered that Jesus said, one day I am the vine, you are the branches. I'm in you and you're in me, John 17. Nobody else remembered that. They all heard him talk. Peter, James, and John were all there. Matthew was there. Luke may not have been at that time, but they were there. Matthew was there. Mark was there. But John remembered the things Jesus said that had to do with the true gospel. So when you go through his writings, you get a whole different understanding. And that different understanding is the biggest thing in Christianity because the most published piece of Christian literature is the Gospel of John. Many times more than any Bible. Because long ago, we saw that the Gospel of John meant more to the unbeliever and to the sinner in the world than any other part of God's Word. So we printed more of those. No. You see, John's the one who says two or three times of Jesus that I've got a lot of things to talk to you about, but you can't handle them now. I can't give them to you now. That's a very human thing in God's Son. He was bursting with that information. He wanted to let it out. But that wasn't his mission. His mission was to restore Israel and finally to die for the sins of the world. That new message would be cloaked. Twenty-five years later, John can write about it, but Jesus can't talk about it before. And when he did talk about it, they didn't get it. I guess the Holy Spirit helped them there. He fixed it so they didn't get it because it wasn't to be known till the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. But think about it. Jesus must have had it in him. I'm the giver of life. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the vine, you are the branches. Father, I want them to be one with me as I'm one with you. Go in there and pick out all those things. That's Paul's message. That's the new gospel. Where'd that new gospel come from? Did it come just by God writing it on a tablet stone like he did with Moses? No, sir. It came from that Jesus. It came from Jesus. The grace gospel is the gospel by Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, given to Paul. And when you read the record, particularly in John's gospel, you see Jesus is just full of it. Oh, I can show you a few other accounts too. I've always thought in Luke 15 when he talked about the prodigal, for that's not the story of a sinning son. That's the story of one who didn't know his father. 
That's the story of one who didn't know his father. You see, that's out of place. It should have helped Israel, but I don't think they got it because they weren't directed by the, to the fatherhood of God. They were still in the fatherhood of Abraham. Locked in, law. So we have the mystery beginning to surface a little bit. It's beginning to come about. So John talks about Jesus in a different way, an exciting way. And if our religious world could be led by the Spirit, John's gospel could lead them into a fullness of Christ because it's there. But you'd have to separate all the other stuff, the correlated stuff, and just hear what John has to say or you'll get mixed up, you'll co-mingle, and you'll not have truth. And remember, co-mingling puts together two good things and neither one of them are important after that happens. Well, our time is up for today. We hope you've enjoyed today's session on Jesus and Paul by Warren Litzman. Now, please go to our website, christ-life.org. Read all about us and go to that bookstore. There you can find books and tapes and videos that Warren left behind. During this study, there's one book in particular that you should have now and always. It's the Paul book. You'll see it. It's right there. It's Paul. And it's one of the best books you'll ever read and so important. So check it out, christ-life.org. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes, and the program is produced weekly by the talented Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.